of all the encounters and revelations, life-transforming moments that Exodus has taken us through over these past few weeks. We now get to see how it closes its chapters with a vision of God's glory that is meant to captivate us and stir something within us for a greater experience of his glory and his presence. This is how this book signs off with a people so transfixed by a holy God who makes a home among them. They then find it impossible to go anywhere or do anything without his glory and his presence leading the way. In some ways, Exodus leaves us on a a bit of a cliffhanger. We want to know more. It leaves us with a curiosity to see where this great God will take us next. Our title for this series has been Let My People Go, a title that's had greater significance for us during this season where, where our lives have been so restrained and perhaps more painfully where we've been so cruelly kept apart from one another. I'm hoping, though, that through this time of uncertainty and at times uh, real fear, this book, through this book, we've been able to discover together afresh a God who never lets us go, who still passionately pursues us and who fights alongside us in our daily battles, a God whose presence remains a tangible part of our lives. And it's his presence and our hunger for it that seems a fitting way to finish this series. Our hunger for and our hospitality towards the presence of God in our lives is what defines us as his people. It's what makes us spirit-filled and spirit-led in all that we get to do. In some ways, without his presence, our freedom, so much of what Exodus has shown us about in these past few weeks, without his presence, our freedom is in a way meaningless. I'm hoping Exodus has shown us that it's not so much an account of a freedom from what, however challenging I'm hoping the storylines have been, but a freedom for what that it's provoked us the the equally important challenge of what am I going to do with my freedom? And the presence of God in our lives has got to be singularly the most important element we go after as we make our responses to that question. We're going to read in a moment uh, in our passage uh, right at the end of the book where the glory of God descends as a cloud over the tabernacle, not just covering it, but filling it with his presence. And this tent, this mobile dwelling place for God was designed to move with them as they journeyed on. And although, as we'll get to read, the Israelites wouldn't move until the cloud moved itself, I'd love to believe that the cloud, the glory of the Lord would not lift or move until the hunger of his people for him tipped over into the danger zone, where the needle on the collective hunger gauge begins to twitch its way into the red. 
I truly believe that the glory of the Lord goes on the move when the hunger of his people for it reaches critical. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a living word, not just a, a book of instruction. Thank you that it's radical, provocative and challenging, that it stirs something in our spirits to pursue you and your ways. Thank you that it's as equally confrontational as it is a comfort. Lord, we thank you for the book of Exodus and its remarkable redemptive story and how it's showcased you in all your glory. Lord, continue to teach us, shape us and captivate us through your word, even today. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus verse uh, Exodus 40, verse 34, through to the end. Entitled, The Glory of the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Amen. If you're an early morning walker, and I know there are some of you that like to do that out there, and had the opportunity to look over a field or, or along a riverbank where the sun had come out and began to evaporate the cold night air, and see a thick mist hovering above the ground, it's quite a spectacular sight, isn't it? Imagine then the sight for the Israelites waking to see their tent uh, covered under a cloud of God's glory. And not just covered, but utterly filled and occupied. And at night, when the clouds are a little bit harder to make out, this tent then blazing with the brilliance of his presence in it bursting out from every window and doorway and lighting up the night sky. What a sight that would have made. What a way to build a confidence in a nomadic, somewhat dispossessed people with a bit of a tendency to go astray. I don't know whether you managed to catch President Biden's inaugural speech a couple of weeks ago. A very stirring moment set though among some very turbulent times. I love some of the Christian language he managed to thread in through it. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This was one of his rallying cries. It did for a moment give me a real hope that this nation finally had a chance at healing. But oh boy, what a mountain that man is yet to climb. We really need to pray for him and his administration. 
However inspiring a speech it was though, I, I was still left with a hanging sense of hopelessness. It did seem to leave me somehow with a less than confident assurance that everything was now going to be all right. His valiant plea for unity, however bravely it was delivered, fell for me woefully short of an answer. Is unity alone going to be enough to bring about the monumental changes needed for this beleaguered nation right now? At the same time I was putting together my thoughts for this preach, the words and images of this speech hung in the air. I couldn't seem to get them out of my head. And I began to find myself making the stark comparison between these two inaugural events, if you like. Events some three and a half thousand years apart, where on both occasions a house was about to be occupied and a supreme authority was about to take his place in history. Hardly a, a right and proper comparison, I know, but one that I hope will help me make my point. Two events where one left me still troubled, while the other left me in total wonder and amazement. Thinking about it though, I, I realised that what troubled me most about the presidential speech wasn't so much the words that he said. They were fine and courageous words. In fact, I, I wish I could have written a speech like that myself. But I realised that it, it wasn't really the words, but the images accompanying them that fell short of the occasion it was meant to have been built up to. Here we had a, a grey-haired, 78-year-old man occasionally stumbling over his words. His audience was a, a smattering of dignitaries that because of COVID had been spread out to look a much bigger crowd than it really was. Flags had replaced 200,000 people who would have normally have packed into the great concourse in front of the Capitol building. In the distance, you could faintly hear the angry voices of rebellion kept away from spoiling the moment. We saw the most powerful man in the world hidden behind a glass screen for his safety. His predecessors were huddled behind him in their thick winter coats, probably muttering behind their COVID masks, I'm so relieved I'm not that man right now. The celebration that should have been triumphant, inspiring and reassuring felt for me a little flat and sad. Even though I'm not an American, I still, it still left me with a sense of uncertainty for this nation and its future. Even with the Christian soundbites he did make in his speech, all he really managed to do was play around at the edges of the only answer for that great nation. A breakthrough God at rule in the hearts of every one of its men, women and children. A hungry nation in need of an unshakable authority and a healing presence.
Contrast this now with the images coming out of our passage this morning. A very different scene indeed. Exodus leaves us with an inauguration of an, uh, of an unimaginable scale. An occupation not for four measly years, but of a God with a compulsion to dwell eternally among his people. Even if that glory can only ever brush the earth with the very lightest of touches. Job 26 verse 14 says this about the glory of God. Yet these are just the fringes of his ways, mere samples of his power, the faintest whisper of his voice. Who can contemplate or withstand the thunder of his full mighty power? Richard shared with us last week that even Moses still had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock, didn't he? Shielded from the full force of God's unrendered glory. Not even Moses, the master architect of the tabernacle, could step over its threshold once more anymore. The God of glory had occupied it and filled it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There's no coincidence in the fact that this is said twice in this passage. And the word filled is so significant here. It's used many times throughout scripture when referring to the presence and the glory of God. This passage is telling us that what occupies this building is the completeness of God the sum of all he is. It's displayed here, yes, made possible so that man is not consumed by it or destroyed by it, but nevertheless, his fullness fills wherever an appropriate home is made for him to occupy. I'm reminded of the passage in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13, where it says, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. So heavy and full was the glory of the Lord that it literally pinned the priest to the floor. Imagine that. Imagine that happening in one of our meetings. So heavy is the presence of God that the preacher can't get off the floor or get the words out because he can't even get breath into his lungs. Hallelujah, some may say. I say bring it on. I long for the day when that would happen. Isaiah's prophetic picture in chapter 6 verse 1 may well have been inspired too by our passage this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. At the time of Isaiah's writing the king's royal robe also had a train 
the king's train was actually made up of pieces or swatches of the royal robes of defeated kings. The conquering king would have had the defeated king's robe cut and sewn into his own robe as a symbol and testimony of the conqueror's strength and power. Isaiah looked at the train on God's robe and there were so many conquests that his robe filled the temple, symbolising he had defeated every enemy. This will have been a prophetic image of Christ seated on the throne. No enemies left to conquer. And the final piece of his train, of his robe, being death itself. Hallelujah. I had this image brought to life for me at a leadership training day. And it brought tears to my eyes. Imagine if you were a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord and your job was to let him in. And as you did, you looked behind him to see that the train of his robe go on as far as you can see. It doesn't seem to ever end. And your job is then to bring it in behind him, but it just keeps coming and coming till there's no room left, till there's no space left to fill. And that the room is now filled with the glory of Christ. It was a penny dropping moment for me. You know those moments where you get to join the dots. The completeness of Jesus is the completeness of the glory of God. Nothing of the person, presence and glory of God was left out of the person, presence and glory of Jesus. I knew that in my head, but now I got to know it in my heart and my spirit too. That wasn't something I learned on that day. It wasn't something anyone could ever really teach me. It took a simple image and a few seconds for the Holy Spirit to bring it to life in my head and make it real in my heart. One of the other images I simply can't get out of my head are the faces of the men, women and children of the Aviva Miento Church in Bogota. The, sun, the, the hunger I, I saw uh, that for him literally shocked me. If there were any doubts I had at the time of it, uh, being a bit staged or hyped up, they were put right when I knew the presence of God had filled that place. When you looked in their eyes and the hunger in them, you knew God was present and satisfying a very deep need in that room that night. These people were captivated and ready and hungry to be filled by a present and now accessible God who, yes, loves to fill buildings, but now gets to fill lives with a far greater passion and purpose. It's an easy thing, I know, for me to stand here and tell you to get hungry for the presence of God. And I can do that till the cows come home. And it will most likely, at best, make it to the top of your to-do lists for a while, as it frequently, frequently does with mine. And if I'm an example of that, then it won't be too long 
before it's down there about number 30. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? I really need to do something about that. Because putting it on a to-do list doesn't really cost me anything, does it? Jess would be utterly shocked if she thought she was on my to-do list. Remember to kiss Jess when you get home tonight. Tick. Tell Jess you love her every day. Tick. Buy flowers. Well, actually, I think she'd really like that one on the list now and again. I don't always remember to do some of those things, but I equally have to make sure I don't reduce them down to a crossing off exercise. I know there are so many of us up against it right now. Life is tough and priorities are having to be made. I know that, I get that. So much of life is outside of our control and big prayers are still needed to help us get through it. But you know what? We can't afford not to do this. We can't afford not to be hungry for his presence right now. If ever there was a time to make room for him and allow an ache for him to grow, it has to be now. We need to make time for longing again in our lives. Not for when is this lockdown going to end? When can I get back to the gym or the pub or get my hair cut? Or even when are my kids going to get back to school? But a longing instead like this in Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Spurgeon called this psalm a holy love sickness. I love the way he describes the author's deep and insatiable desire. The very soul of the man was yearning for his God, fainting at the thought of having to hold out any longer. And I love this. He was exhausted with the delay. He had a holy lovesickness upon him and he was wasted with an inward consumption to be released back into the worship of the Lord. Well, if there was ever a description of a longing and hunger for the presence of the Lord, it has to be that one, doesn't it? So how hungry do we, so how do we get hungry? How do we get hungry for all of that? Spurgeon's ultimate description of a man who pours everything out in order for everything to be poured in, so lovesick for God, it, all else was lost to him. Where do we start with that? Is that the expectation on me right now to pour everything out? I guess ultimately, yes. But I also know that the Holy Spirit would be saying to each of us, start where you can. Start wherever you can, but start. Open the door. He'd be saying, how can I help you make room in your life 
to make this happen. Don't let the opportunity of my presence drift down the to-do list anymore. He will want to say to us, let me help. You know what? That's my job. Give me your time and your attention and I'll show you a reason why and give you a longing and hunger for it. I'll show you an image that will leave you both hungry for more and completely satisfied. Our wonder cannot really be found in this world. However hard we try, our wonder is not even a cloud anymore or a tent of fire, but the burning, blazing glory of a risen Christ, filled with the glory of God. And because of him, we don't get to just be onlookers anymore, but like him, we, we get to be filled and become carriers ourselves of his presence, and yes, his glory too. I'm convinced we're coming into a season where we're going to be invited to be filled again in ever-increasing measures. Our prayer life, our, our worship, our fellowshipping with one another will have a greater power and significance than ever before. We're going to be influencers and power bearers supercharged for his purposes. And we're going to need to feel that with a desperate need for his presence. Whatever the worldly landscape looks like, whatever all nations church looks like when we come out of the other end of all of this, and we will, the kingdom landscape will not have changed. But I'm convinced too that we're going to be asked for a greater courage, a greater sacrifice and a greater faith than we've ever been able to offer before. In a moment, Chantel and the band are going to lead us again in our final song this morning. Great is the Lord God Almighty. And there's a line in it taken straight out of another great visual psalm, Psalm 24, which says this. Lift up your heads, open the doors, let the glory come in. This is an account of a returning king. The ark was coming back to Jerusalem through the great gates of its city. It was, a sit, it was a cry to make way, make room. The king of glory is entering in. And as we finish, that's my challenge to you. Use this song, use this line and make it personal to you. Invite the Holy Spirit to lift up your heads above the images of this world right now. Images that will never be enough, never compare and never really satisfy. Lift up your heads to the wonder and magnificence of Christ Jesus set before us. His victory robe gathered endlessly at his feet. Folks, let's get captivated by that. Let's decide to cry out together and say, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to make a way for the King of glory. Let him come in and fill our lives with his presence. Start with me, Lord. 
Fling wide my gates. Fill me, Lord. Make me a host and carrier of your presence and your glory. I'm going to ask you all to stand as we sing this last song. Make it your prayer. Make it the cry of your heart. Get hungry, all nations and friends. Make this your response.